Als sport. This isn't Yorkshire television. Now, Dr. Hillary hands round some arrowroot biscuits and Imodium instants to those loose women. Oh, gosh, I nearly forgot. I've got that latest episode of Father Brown on catch up. Where's that remote? Uh, How can I help you, my son? Forgive me, Father. It, it's been a month since my last podcast. I see. What was it about, my son? Well, it, it was crammed full of comedy sketches. Some of them festive. A lot of it recreated great moments from history with a, a comedy twist. Oh, oh, and I played all the characters. All of them, my son? That's quite an undertaking. Are you recording a podcast this month? Uh, yes, Father Brown. And I have to tell you, in this month's edition... Go on. Unburden your soul. I will, Father. This month, there'll be... Yes? No! Please! No! (laughs) Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Is he dead, Father? I'm afraid so, Mrs M. Oh, good God, and on daytime television too. He was about to tell me about the latest Richard Usher podcast. When somebody shot him... Was it those ladies of a certain persuasion again, Father? Oh, they're getting out of hand. The whole of Kimbleford is living in fear. They've even stolen my second best recipe for my award-winning strawberry scones. That's dreadful, Mrs. M. Your second best recipe. Shall we burn them, Father? I've heard they've even spread as far as Emmerdale. Live and let live, Mrs. M. What we need to do is find the killer. And my second best recipe. Ah, Padre. What are you doing here at the scene of this crime that I shouldn't really know about this quickly? Uh, This is my church, Inspector. So you say, Padre. I shall have to arrest the organist, of course. The most unlikely and ridiculous suspect. Oh, you'll protest. You'll have some clue I'm not aware of. It's always the same with you, Padre. It's the ladies of a certain persuasion, Inspector. Why, Shush, Inspector. Not on daytime telly. I do beg your pardon. And in any case, what business is it of yours? Do I need to arrest you as well? For no particular reason I can operate with evidence. Camelford is full of lady serial killers of a certain persuasion, Inspector. And they even stole my second best recipe for my award-winning strawberry scones. And on daytime television, too. Really? What do you say, Padre? I think we need to investigate thoroughly, Inspector. I suggest we listen to the podcast before we draw any conclusions. 
the Richard Usher Podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, I started to write this January edition of my sketch comedy extravaganza. And so, welcome to the first 2017 edition of the Richard Usher podcast, episode 12, if you've managed to stick with us this far. Well done. I'm very proud of you. As ever, we'll be taking a look back at famous moments uh, from January, down the ages, giving them our unique little comic treatment for a bit of twistery. You'll also hear from the master of mirth, Ben Bernard, as he meets up with his showbiz agent to discuss some creative changes for his act. However, we'll get things rolling on the history front with the 6th of January in 1540, when King Henry VIII married his fourth wife. Ah, your most noble majesty. So pleasant to be at court once more. Lord Duckingham, approach, sir, approach. The court is abuzz with talk of your forthcoming nuptials, your majesty. I'm gratified to hear that the royal heart is a flutter once more. <laughs> May I be uh, impertinent enough to ask the name of the lucky queen-to-be, sir? Impertinent, my Lord Duckingham? Why, sir, tis a mere trifle you ask of us, and we are in good humour, Duckingham. The good lady to whom our royal heart is promised is no less so than the good lady Anne of Cleves. I'm sorry, Your Majesty, Uh, Anne of where? Cleves, sir, Anne of Cleves. (laughs) Oh, my word, Your Majesty, you are indeed in good (laughs) humour. Cleves, you say? Well, based on your track record so far, it is probably most aptly named, what? (laughs) Oh, that's taught it. Cromwell, there'll be one less for dinner this evening. Henry VIII, the king who did for marriage and religion what Donald Trump is currently trying to do for peace and harmony in the free world. One-time Prime Minister David Lloyd George had a moving experience on the 8th of January 1921 when he became the first serving PM to take up residency at Chequers Court in Buckinghamshire. Good morning, sir. Welcome to Chequers. Removal men, squire. Moving in the uh, personal effects of his nibs, the uh, prime what's it? <laughs> Any chance of a brew? Steady, steady there. Steady there, sir. What? Watch the sideboard there. Do be careful, gentlemen. Some of this furniture is extremely valuable. Those ornaments are antiques. Why are you men moving in that ridiculous manner? Well, uh, it's my mate here, uh, Sydney. He's a bit, um, OCD on account of the shell shock. <laughs> He's, uh, 
got it into his head that, uh, as this is checkers, we can only move diagonally, sir. I, I think he's taken things illiterally. Oh, for goodness sake. Ironic, though, isn't it? A politician moving into a gaff named after a game that's black and white. He should have moved into my place. That's a dirty grey. <laughs> Bit tiny, though. Not much bigger than that duck house on the pond out there. Still, nice and warm in here with that fire going. Not too many drafts, eh? <laughs> Checkers? Drafts? No? No. I'll uh, leave you to it. Oi, Sydney. Where do you get that bottle of vino from? That cupboard over there, but the one with all the bottles. Cool, you'll get us fired, Sid. Put that back. You'd better pop it at the back, out of sight. <laughs> That's a turn-up, eh? Here we are, moving in the Prime Minister, and we end up reshuffling his cabinet. <laughs> One man who would appreciate that last gag is the Master of Mirth, Ben Bernard, who is about to have a visit from his agent and showbiz guru, Tony Tatting Jr. Vlog off, Ben Bernard. Ben Bernard gets creative. Oh, oh, chuffing shells. Honest oh. design with great hulking basketball players in mind. I'm not a short bloke, but even I struggle to reach. Uh, have you noticed how shops put their bargains on the top or bottoms of shelves? You end up either slipping a disc or two in your spine, or locking your knees and putting corrugated creasing in your Farris slacks. Ooh. My pal Carbu Colin has just popped to his secret wholesalers, so he left yours truly in charge of we still selling. <laughs> Good afternoon, baby. Ooh, hey, John. You nearly gave me a turn there, You're creeping up on a bloke when he's soliloquising. Oh. Let us speak not of country matters. Hey, You've been sniffing the creosote down the garden centre again, Tone. Very droll, baby. I was, in point of fact, attempting to share your cultural Shakespearean referencing with one of my very own, from Hamlet. It's unfair, Tone. You, you know I suffer from post-traumatic stress. Speaking of theatre, there's chuffing few bookings so far to be had in 2017. It's Brexit, my dear old thing. People in the business we call show are suffering the backlash as people tighten their belts. Well, I tell you what, with the car off the road and me stacking shells for old car boot Colin, I've put loads of weight on. No tightening the belts needed in the Bernard residence. I'll need a new tux if he keeps asking me to check the use-by dates on the French fancies. My cummerbunds are stretched wider than the gap in Joey Essex's education. The clue was in the title of the job, my dear. Shelf stacking, not stock sampling. Listen, BB, you're a born entertainer. Well, ball for something anyway. There'll be a Woman's Institute somewhere gagging for your on-stage charisma. And if not that, your ability to rip off the top of a bottle of stout with those steel-enforced dentures I paid for. Hey, John, that was only the once. 
and I needed the new dentures after the bottle incident. Still, I must make a mental note to pay thee back, me old showbiz stalwart. B.B., while repayment would ensure my secretary Dolores gets her annual bonus, well, at least enough of it to buy herself that fluorescent green puffer jacket she's had her eye on, we have to consider how you are going to get to gigs, given that you've put your own car in dock and burst all four tyres on my classic mini clubman. Hitting a railway level crossing at practically the speed of light was not the best example of motoring prowess. Well, who puts a flaming level crossing at the bottom of a one in five hill anyway, Tone? It's the quality of my student drivers. They're not on the ball these days. They're really on the brake pedal, too. Plays havoc with my ulcers. Take a tip out of my book, BB. Assume everyone is an idiot until they prove otherwise. Perhaps you could paint the brake pedal with luminous paint so they could see where it is, and so brake in good time should any emergency rear its ugly head. Like a level frigging crossing. Anyway, let's get on, shall we, BB? I've a book in here for an hour's slot at the old Presbyterian Hall behind... Well, behind Mars Place, the local tannery is having its bird's night supper. Might be a bit whiffy, Tone, if it's anything like the Abattoir Morris dancers we got last year. It was awful. Awful? Oh, suit this then. <coughs> I'm sure the audience will be suitably fragrant, my dear. Being bird's night, I'm sure someone will be passing round the old spice and a tot or two of whiskey. Now, BB, you'll have to start on a new gag script. We've got to keep your material fresh. A new what? What's wrong with the one I was using at the Fishmill Factory canteen gig last week? You wrote it in 1963. We've gone decimal since then. Look, make the new material topical, with gags about modern life, HD and the like. John, but... Why would I want to talk about pencils? Unless you're suggesting I don't understand the graphite of the situation. Graphite. Pencils. Gravity. I'm not winning you over, am I? HD, my dear. Not HB. High definition. For the telly, it's what people want. Witty repartee about high-tech wizardry. Oh, don't fret, Tone. I'll give you two pence for the Max Packs dispenser. Have yourself a cuppa. Y- you see, I've, I've been using them there coasters you got me for Christmas. That's a commemorative box set of Val Dunican CDs, not a set of coasters. Oh, give me strength. Listen, though, in, in all seriousness, Tone, uh, I've been wondering whether I should team up with someone, uh, get a straight man for the act, someone I could bounce off with witty banter. It worked for Morecambe and Wise. Share the spotlight. Share the takings, BB. Aye, but there was a chap in the Firkin and Ferret last Saturday who had a nice line in barroom banter. I, I could ask him to audition. We-, we could start him off on a small retainer. See how things go. Eustace Ellington were his name. Oh, daft Eustace from the bus depot. He's the bloke that backed the number 89 over Mrs Fenshaw's pet goose Archie. 
Court case pending, BB. Never a good idea to get tied up with the lower. Eee. I-, I thought he seemed familiar. Probably read about it on the back of me fish and chips. The goose survived, didn't it? Poor Mrs Fanshawe's still trying to get the oil stripe off Archie's back from the bus's sump. How many pints of Fuddles curiously potent had Eustace drunk, they'll ask. Competent to retain his licence, they'll ponder. No, no, BB. A comedy double act and one moped between them. I can see it all ending in tears. I really can. Just only a goose tone. I'll, I'll bet they'll be lenient with him. Hey, did you know he can burp the French national anthem? I'll ask Eustace this evening in pub, see if he's up for it. Well, if he's up for career suicide, then OK. Just remember, BB, you spent decades as a solo performer, sharing the bill in more ways than one, will not be an easy thing to get used to. That said, with only that tannery gig coming up, I guess trying something new is a better prospect than the French fancies and hard labour in this place. Eh, speaking of French fancies, I wonder if Brexit will see the back of them. Will it mean the return of the humble Eccles cake, I wonder? Ooh, now I'm feeling peckish. Hey, I suppose we'll need to pick a name for the new double act. How about Eustace and Ben? Like them two that were covered in sequins on the X Factor. Burn Ellington. More like Eustace and useless. Right then, Tom. I've just got time for a uh, shave and a shower. uh, Before I have to don my glittering stage tuxedo to impress young Eustace. I'll be his first taste of the showbiz lifestyle. Take him some French fences as well, BB. They'll be his first taste of showbiz reality. Ooh, you could write him a check. A what? A check? Yes, John. A reality check. <laughs> oh, me beatings! Oh, oh! Clear on aisle three. Ben Bernard Gets Creative was written by Jeff Motley and Richard Usher. It was performed by Richard Usher and Jeff Motley and was edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. Hey! <laughs>listening to the January edition of the Richard Usher podcast. If you're enjoying the show so far, do please check out previous editions via iTunes or at my website, richardusher.co.uk. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. Now, in the USA, they never miss a trick. Back on the 9th of January 1902, New York State introduced a bill to outlaw flirting in public a law that I'm sure Donald Trump will be very keen to avoid bringing back. Hey! Hey, Mahoney! I got a job for you. Yeah? What's that, Captain? I want you to go to a bar tonight. Low dive on the east side. No can do, Captain. I've got me a date with a bottle of scotch and my own body weight and potato chips. Screw that, Mahoney! You're going on a sting operation. You want a sting? Go out and get yourself a bee. Cut the wise guy talk, Mahoney. Right on the street is, there's a bar. Flouting these no flirting laws. And that ain't easy to say for a flat foot. I want you to nose about a bit. 
Maybe do some flirting of your own. You got me? QT, boss. Sure, I knew it was risky. I put guys behind bars. They know my face. Heading for a low gin joint. One of them was bound to be serving. A job's a job, and someone had to flush out these flirts. And it might as well be me. I spent two hours sat on a bar stool, staring at a bottle of Jack. Turned out it was a fire bell. Just one of those optic illusions. You get them in my line of work. Then, just as I thought my only necking that night would involve a whiskey glass, she walked in. Hi there, beautiful. The name's Mahoney. What's a dame like you doing in a den of vice like this? They're looking for Wissy Wussy. Look, he's behind you. Only in the U.S. of A. Now, flirting might have gone underground in New York State back in 1902, but things went underground in a different way here in Britain on the 10th of January 1863, when Prime Minister Gladstone officially opened the first section of the London Underground Railway System that ran from Paddington to Farringdon Street. He was chuffed to bits. Absolute disgrace. Half an hour I've been waiting here. That's nothing, mate. Two hours I've been stood here. Not a sniff of a train. I wonder what the dashed hold-up is. Well, I did hear a rumour that somebody mislaid the scissors. Why'd they need scissors? Well, it seems they can't let the train go until Mr Gladstone cuts the ribbon. And they can't cut the ribbon until they find the scissors. Has anyone checked lost property? What a clever notion. Shouldn't somebody tell them? Oh, dear me, no. Not, nothing to do with me. No, don't worry. We apologise to passengers awaiting the nine o'clock service to Farringdon Street. Uh, this has been due to, um... Don't make it It's recent number five. There, it's in the book. This is due to an idiot on a platform at Paddington. The service will arrive in approximately uh, one minute. Please stand back from the platform each. Splendid news. Fine way to travel underground railway. Avoids all that unhealthy smog about grind. <laughs> Monsieur, scotch on the rocks. I just flew in from Miami. It's four o'clock in the morning in D.C. What time is it here? Noon, monsieur. Well, that makes it A-OK in my book. Mr. Roosevelt, Mr. Roosevelt, the fat man, he, he wants to see you. Good afternoon, Mr. Roosevelt. At last we meet. Huh? Hey, Sam, play it. Mr. Roosevelt. You played it for him, now play it for me. The Nazis will not be pleased that we have met. We shall fight them on the beaches. They took your towels too. Well, come with me. They won't always have Paris. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But soon, and for the rest of our lives. He's looking at you, Winston. 
This could be the start of a special relationship. It's not worth a hill of beans. We've had echoes of times past in recent weeks, with Prime Minister Theresa May meeting the newly elected President Donald Trump. But there, back on the 14th of January 1943, some proper world leaders, President Franklin D. Roosevelt and Prime Minister Winston Churchill, had their monumentally important meeting in Casablanca to discuss World War II. In fact, Roosevelt became the first US president to fly in an airplane while in office. Now there's one for the pub quiz factoid part of your brain. Actually, while we're about it, let's chuck another factoid your way. This one from the 17th of January, 1912. This was the day upon which Robert Falcon Scott and his expedition party reached the South Pole. Sadly, a Norwegian called Amundsen had already beaten them there by one month. Come on, lads! Keep in file, lads! Keep in file! Show me there, lads! We're a mere few yards away. Let's keep the pace going. We don't know where we are going. All we know is it keeps going. I say, Captain, isn't that a tent? It is right, Captain. And do my eyes deceive me? Is that not a Norwegian flag? Upon my soul, lads, you're both right. Ah, no sadder sight, eh, lads? That Norwegian rogue Amundsen has beaten us to the pole. But how, sir? How did the Norwegians get so far ahead of us so quickly? They like their fish, but perhaps they used a herring aid. That's a terrible pun, Bowers. But yes, they must have had some serious advice. Oh. Uh, yes. I-, I think I know their secret. Dogs. How can you tell, Scott? Oh, I see. And so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we come to the grand presentation of my new invention, television. Prepare to be amazed by the power of this little device and what it can bring to the world. Behold. Hello, Smutty. What's that, Smutty? You were looking at Loopy Lucindy's what? Oh, on the front door. Well, yes, they are impressive. I find it tawdry and common. Amanda. Yes, you have a cheeky smile, but I find it shocking. No. The world is not yet ready for a bunch of lady played quite so badly. <laughs> I say, Ethel Elsie, one hasn't by any chance encountered a Roland. Poor blimey, Danny. He was in pursuit of my little Willie. Donald Holmes? But what of Sir Henry? Great Scott Holmes. Of course, there uh, are one or two kinks to iron out yet. (laughs) Oh, well, if that's how you feel. They always used to say that watching too much television would give you square eyes. I wonder if listening to it would give you square ears. Anyway, 
That bit of twistery took us back to the 27th of January 1926, when the Scottish engineer John Logie Baird gave the first public demonstration of television at his workshop in London. It was probably Scotland's revenge for having Greenwich Mean Time inflicted upon them around 78 years earlier. Landlord, a flagon of your finest ale and a tot of uh, the local malt, if you please. Very good, sir. Visitor to these parts, are you? Uh, yes, St. John's Spide is the name, uh, just up from London. I say, your customers don't sound too happy. I will, uh, happy hours just ended. Aye? Did you not hear the clock chain? Indeed, I did, madam. A lovely sound. Curiously enough, I'm here in my capacity as a horologist uh, to oversee the transfer to the new timekeeping system. That'll be five pounds. Five pounds? Golly, <laughs> prices are frightfully high north of the border. I mean to say, it was only a matter of shillings a few minutes ago. But was happy hour. Did you not hear the clock chime? Indeed I did, madam. As I said, uh, I, I, I don't understand your point. That was happy hour. This is now meantime. Ah. And so, to a final piece of twistery. Once more with a Scottish link. Well, it is the month for Burns Night. This time, the execution of King Charles I on the 30th of January, 1649. He was beheaded at Whitehall Palace, and his death established the Commonwealth. And on that cheery note, I shall bid thee farewell until next time. Oh, and a happy new year. I go from a corruptible to an uncorruptible crowd, where no disturbance can be, no disturbance in the world, is my farewell. Lovely, Your Majesty. I shall say but short prayers and then thrust out my hands thus. Take care they do not put me to pain. Take heed of the axe, hurt not the axe which may hurt me. We must all look to our conscience, just as we may look to the Lord. I have lived and fought in his name. I fought for a noble cause, and I fought for our God. I am an innocent man sent to the slaughter by mine enemies. God is with me, and the Lord will protect me. I am innocent, and soon I shall be free. Off a moat. This thing's blooming heavy. Watch it. The head's on the move. Well, I don't want it. Over here, sunshine. Quick. Get it in the basket. He shoots. You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast, performed by Richard Usher and guest voice artists Mary Flavelle and Jeff Motley. It was written, edited, and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme, courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a larynx production.
Hey. Order, order. Rare silence for the most noble Earl of Leicester. My friends, this is a most auspicious occasion. The first sitting of an English parliament. Let history be witness to a bold new chapter in the evolution of democracy. The Right Honourable William de Vague. A point of order, Mr Speaker. Uh, But uh, what exactly is our raison d'etre? If my Right Honourable Friend had not interrupted, I would have laid forth the parliamentary code. Code? Nobody mentioned puzzles to me. I thought we were just going to sit around a bit, have a natter, raise some taxes and then clear off to the tavern. That's what we normally do. Order, order. No longer, my honourable friends. This noble institution, this parliament, shall debate great matters of state. We must henceforth strive to serve our king and country with dedication, wisdom, mutual respect and honesty. Um, what about our expenses? Aye, our second castles won't eat themselves the nose. And uh, on a second point of order, uh, Mr Speaker, I think that bit about wisdom and mutual respect might be stretching credibility a little far. 